0: This is Sermon Smith, a once again bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. And my name is John Chandler. Yes, that's right. It is once again biweekly, at least for this little cycle here, because it has only been two weeks since we last published a conversation. And here we are again with a return episode. And I even have a few more episodes in my calendar to be recorded soon. So we could be back on track here. Thanks to all of those who have wondered aloud and asked and prodded politely. Um, Yeah, pretty much all politely to say, hey, how's the scheduling going for the podcast? Here we are, and uh, I'm excited to be back in a biweekly rhythm. A little bit of business before we get on to today's conversation. First of all, I need to correct a wrong because in the intro to the last podcast, I failed to mention that we had another Patreon sponsor come on board about a month ago. That was Chad Brooks. Chad, thank you so much. Some of you might recognize Chad's name. He was a guest on Sermon Smith uh, eons ago, as it is in the podcast world. And Chad is also the host of the Productive Pastor podcast, which I'm sure many of you are probably familiar with. It's certainly in my podcast feed, and I've been a guest over there at well as one point. So, Chad, thanks so much for uh, coming on board and supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast in that way, you can go to patreon.com slash sermonsmith, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can make a pledge to support per interview that we do, which hopefully will be bi-weekly, so you can keep that in mind as you figure out what that amount would be. also want to say thank you to Preacher Chris96. Chris is our most recent iTunes reviewer, and we are inching up on 60 reviews, so thanks to all who have done that. Um, Once we get past 60, then I can just turn around and say, hey, can we make it to 80 or can we make it to 100? I appreciate that, as that is definitely one way that people help find the show as iTunes factors that in. Okay, so let's get on to today's guest. Today's guest is our third repeat guest. This is A.J. Swoboda. A.J. is the pastor of Theophilus Church in Portland, Oregon, and also an adjunct professor of homiletics and preaching at a few different seminaries. And so it's always good to hear his voice just personally because A.J. is a friend, but good to hear his voice again on the podcast because he has some thoughtful things to say. The format of this one and why AJ is a return is because he's recently published a book called Subversive Sabbath. And so the content of this show focuses more on what does it look like to think about rhythms of Sabbath and rhythms of rest as it relates to something as relentless as sermon preparation. And so, he has some really unique and really important thoughts that will be uh, engaging for all of us to think about and imagine what how they might play out in our own uh, sermon prep processes. So, AJ, thanks again for being a repeat guest. And if you're interested in reading AJ's book I'll include a link to it in the show notes. That's a way that you can both support AJ's work and read uh, the great thoughts he has and also support the podcast as well, as that will, of course, be an affiliate link. So here we are uh, once again with my friend AJ Salota. I was thinking earlier today, preparing for this about when you and I met. We met in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and we were there at J.R. Woodward's church, and yep. we did his little Verge LA micro-conference.
1: I could never forget it.
0: Yes. Okay. Thank you. No,
1: really. So, it, it had a dramatic impact on my, on my journey. That was an good..: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was good. It was, it was a good weekend overall. <laughs> but what I'm going to say in order to pump myself up is, <laughs> uh, I, I was the first speaker. I kicked it off, and my topic was Sabbath. <laughs> now, now i'm sure you remember that and it was life changing <laughs> i
1: think i think that was the first that was the beginning of my journey really i, I okay. wouldn't be doing it that's, now if I wasn't for that talk
0: that's what i'm hoping you would say <laughs>
1: yeah. no i talked about and if i remember right
0: if i remember right you you talked about uh like creation care and ecology
1: no, I talked about Jesus turning water into wine. I remember very specifically yeah. that that uh that 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 weekend 'cause I drove all the way from Portland to l a all night. I got there yeah at the event and then I had to drive back twelve hours later to portland it, that that was how committed I was to that. I remember event. that yeah Conference, yeah all
0: right well, see yeah, you totally talked about water to wine. I remember that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, clearly. Yeah. You, uh, and obviously, that transformed your entire reading of that text. You, you, you
0: <laughs> I mean, but you remembered my talk so well.
1: Yeah, I wrote a book about it.
0: That you've now You're written right. a book about it. See how I did that? <laughs> <laughs> See how I did that? And what I would like to think is that you heard me talk about Sabbath, then it launched this passion topic for you, and now the student has become the teacher.
1: Yeah, without question. Yep. Yeah, I, I basically owe uh, my entire ministry to your yes, work.
0: You're yeah, full of it. You. you don't even remember that I talked about Sabbath, and I don't remember <laughs> what you talked about either. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember meeting you, and I'm glad that we're friends now.
1: Yes, me too. It's no. a joy to serve alongside you in the kingdom.
0: All right. So, alongside all that, you are one of the few now, so far, I think you're the third person who serves on Sermon Smith as a repeat guest. So, welcome back. Wow. What an honor. I think, um, yeah. <laughs> I think I had you uh, in one of my first 10 interviews, and I still often talk about uh, with others about your um, pericope, your your yeah. hard drive folder full yeah. of pericopes, as yeah. you know that I talk about often. So, Because I thought that was helpful. So, all that to say, we're not going to revisit your first interview, but we'll circle back to that. I just re-listened to it to prepare for this one a few weeks ago. How funny. And, and um, it was, it's a good one. It's still a good one. I still enjoy it.
1: Yeah, so well, I've, got to, I've got to say to John, and I, despite as a point of, as a point of, um, gratefulness for you and i know a lot of your listeners probably would want to be able to tell this to you but your podcast is incredibly helpful for christian pet preachers mm. um and i recommend it uh i feel like i recommend it once a week i mean it's it's a, a phenomenal podcast and you're doing a service to preachers there are not a lot of resources like this um mm. that are that are this helpful around sermon prep so I'm i'm grateful for your work
0: thank you so now now i've pumped me up and you've pumped me up
1: Yes. <laughs> no. And if you Let's take that, it. if you take that out of the podcast, I'm going to, if you take that out of this episode, <laughs> I'm not going to listen to any more podcasts. So this I, is over. Game over. Geez. Well, thanks for that
0: pressure. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that. And, uh, but I do, I do, uh, this isn't just try, trying to return the favor, but your, your first interview was a really thoughtful one. And I encourage people to go back to it because sometimes we have conversations that are very practical and really helpful and then sometimes we get into some, even though I don't necessarily ask these questions, they just burst out of the people I'm asking questions about. We get into very uh, more philosophical ponderings about the nature of preaching, even coming out of sermon prep. And yours did both, and it was a fun one. So,
1: mm-hmm. good. Love it.
0: So we, but we are talking today about. Um, I'm having you back because you've you've written a book and this is going to be a unique format. So what I'm trusting is even as I stumble along, because as I've bragged often, I have the easiest podcast in the world, which is ask the same questions every time to people who talk for a living. I mean, it's the easiest oh, podcast mm. format that could possibly be. <laughs> and I'm, I'm veering away from that this time because we're going to talk a little bit more about your book. We're going to talk about it as it relates to sermon prep, because I think that's uh, meaningful, but, how how about just to kick off, why don't you give us, tell us about, you know, maybe your elevator pitch for uh, Subversive Sabbath?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. Because it definitely, by the way, this this is a, a really unique combination of two topics that I really care about. I preach, I teach on preaching at Fuller Seminary and Portland Seminary. I teach a lot on preaching. And then I, I wrote a book on Sabbath. And what's really exciting to me about this conversation is we get to blend those two. Because I actually think that there's a lot of overlap between these two areas, between preaching. Uh, And rest and Sabbath keeping. Uh, Yeah, I wrote I wrote uh, subversive Sabbath uh, over the course of basically two, two and two and a half years, maybe three years. Uh, And it is uh, spurred on by an experience that I had a few years ago when we planted our church in Portland, Uh, when we when we planted our church was coming up on on eight and a half years here, almost nine years uh, when we planted the church you know it takes an, ex- an a, a great amount of effort uh, to plant a church as you well aware you're you're very well aware of and I began to notice about three years ago that our church started getting really tired um, and you know I, I began to notice this and this is an experience that a lot of preachers have um, if you've ever had this happen to you it puts hair on your hair on your preaching chest as it were uh, and that is that when somebody falls asleep in your sermon, you take it really personally. And I think I started noticing about three years ago that people were falling asleep a lot more. Hmm. Um, and I didn't think that it had to do with like a a downgrading of my preaching quality. I, I I sensed that there was something else going on. And that I I started sort of putting my finger in the water and I could tell that our church was just tired. They were tired of all the hard work. They were tired of what was going on at home and life. And, So I decided to preach on three weeks on the Sabbath. So I preached for three weeks in our community on this topic of the Sabbath. And what happened really surprised me. I mean, it was a very invigorating and liberating sermon series where we talked about rest and the biblical theme of rest throughout scripture and church history and tradition and experience. Uh, But what really surprised me was, you know, I preached on... Uh, and this is, again, my elevator speech, but I've I preached on all sorts of things in my church. I've preached on uh, sexuality. I've preached uh, you know, against marijuana because I live in Portland. and Somebody's got to talk about this stuff. Um, I've preached on polyamory. I've preached on politics. I've, I've upset a lot of people. I preached on the <laughs> Sabbath yeah. for three weeks, and I don't think I've ever had um, more people leave our church. And what that experience taught me was that the preaching on the Sabbath, um, really steps on a lot of people's idolatries and a lot of people's commitments around what they think about time in their life. And so I was in a, at the end of the day, this is when I knew I wanted to write the book. I was sitting in a church council meeting, which is basically our church's group of people that deals with the finances. And it dawned on me as we were sitting together that as the the pastor of this church, if I was to commit adultery, I'd probably lose my job. You know, the 10 commandments, if I committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. Uh, if I stole money from the church, I'd probably lose my job. If I committed murder, I'd definitely lose my job. <laughs> yes. um, but if I, it don't, just sort of had this dark epiphany that if I don't take a day of rest every week, um, I'll I'll probably get a raise. Um, I'll I'll probably get paid more because the ministry would grow and a lot more people would come. And that was the moment, that was the critical moment I knew that there was a problem because we've literally created a structure that celebrates breaking something that God says is absolutely integral to being a human being.
0: So, I, I'm fascinated by, and again, I, you know, I, I have read the book and then, so I kind of marked out that little thing as one of my questions to ask you about that Sabbath sermon series. And then you've also talked about the book, we'll, we'll put a plug in here. You've also talked about the book on uh, Shane Blackshear's Seminary Dropout podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it's worth yep, yep. looking that up, um, that interview, but the whole podcast. Shane's good stuff.
1: Um, and I, I just that, was the, that was the moment. I just knew at that moment, I knew yeah. this has to be addressed specifically for pastors. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But why Why in your church do you think, like, what, what was it? Be I, I was just stunned by that because what was the pushback within your mm-hmm. congregation? Why mm-hmm.
1: people left? Was it, did they say it was legalism? Did they say it was unattainable? Yeah. yeah, good question. Well, I mean, having now been teaching on Sabbath, you know, across our country for the last three years, I have learned that it's not isolated to my church. So it, it's not, it's not my church and the church that I lead. <gasps> I think it's a, it's a, it's an American um an American thing. The number, the number one question that I get when I teach on the Sabbath is this question. What am I supposed to do on the Sabbath? Now, when you think about that question, it, that is a fundamentally American question. We can't, we don't even have a construct for rest. Like we can't even think about rest without thinking about what we're doing. Yeah. Um, the, and in my experience, uh, the, the people who, um really struggle with the sabbath message and i i'm just going to name a few and some of them are kind of surprising number 1 and this this time and again it is is just it's a reality is that um, moms the sabbath is really 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 hard for moms um yeah. and 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 it should be it is difficult and i'm not minimizing or undermining that i'm not a mother i'm a father but i have walked with my wife through the sabbath and being a mom and sabbath keeping is really hard work the second group of people are uh, church executives and church leaders um, who feel as though the Sabbath threatens productivity in a post-Christian era. Um, you know, the, and we often live more faithfully to critique to cliche than we do to the Bible. I mean, we say, how often do we hear uh, a preacher say phrases like, um, "I don't need to take a, a rest because the devil never takes a rest"? Um, yeah. You know, to, to which I would say. You know, at what point did we start basing our discipleship models on what the devil's doing today? You know, like, let's find out what Satan's doing and do that. You know, that, that, that's not a, that's not help. That's not good. Um, so we, be, you know, so church leaders, I think really see it as a threat to ministry. I know I do. This is not, I'm, put, I'm not putting this on others. I'm putting it on myself. Um, and thirdly is I would say that, um, often business people really struggle with Sabbath because again, it undermines and dethrones, uh, the end game of productivity and profit. Um, when in the reality, in long term, I would actually argue that, uh, keeping a Sabbath, uh, increases productivity and actually can increase productivity profits. Um, When you look at organizations like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby, which I have all sorts of political feelings about, but when you look at those two organizations uh, who take a day a week and shut down their business and lose billions of dollars every year for people to go home and be with their family, uh, I would argue that they reap tremendous cultural and economic benefits because of that willingness uh, to to lose um, productivity
0: yeah and uh, I mean this is throughout the book, and I've also heard you on a couple of different occasions talk about Sabbath and kind of push that forward. so let me press into that then for the nature of our conversation, which is you know the second one you named after moms is the church executive church leaders and specifically
1: preachers too preachers
0: too. yeah sure sure, so particularly in sermon prep well let, let me ask this question even first, which is when I went back. I think I interviewed you in late 2013 for my first sermon Smith interview with you. And so I went back and listened to that. You don't mention Sabbath in that. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I suppose it wasn't on your radar yet or it didn't feel like it was relevant to a conversation about sermon prep for you at that point. But, Mm -hmm. um, so talk about, talk about what Sabbath looks like now Mm -hmm. in your creative rhythms for sermon prep and how it plays a role.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think I'm I'm going to sidestep the conversation of of the personal Sabbath. So how do I how do I keep a Sabbath? Which in the book I deal with, which we take a day a week of rest. But let's yeah, I mean, talking about pre, in terms of preaching rhythms. Well, I I have undergone a major shift in my own preaching rhythms, and that that is that after writing the book on the Sabbath, um, I drastically changed how much I was preaching. Uh, I read a book a couple of years ago. It was an obscure book with a very obscure footnote. Um, uh, which turns out to be true. The average, this is shocking information. The average Anglican preacher in 1800 Britain, the average Anglican preacher in 1800, uh, Britain, uh, preached four times a year. But, and that is, yes, they would preach four original sermons every year. It would be on Pentecost, Easter, uh, Christmas and some, one other, I think it would be, uh, uh. Uh, some Lenten thing or something. but often it would be uh, that th- this particular historian was arguing that it would be almost exclusively the pulpit would be given in terms of original content preaching uh, to either other people uh, from outside the church, itinerant preachers, or it would just be the liturgy itself. Um, now, whether that's true or not, uh, this, this particular footnote, again, it was a rather um, it was a, a, a rather obscure uh, book and a rather obscure footnote, and I'm not going to base every, everything on that. But it led me to ask this question. What makes me think that I am spiritual enough to be able to produce 52 original sermons a year? I mean, that yeah. is just insane. And I'm not that spiritual. I'm not, I'm not that deep with Jesus. I don't have that much stuff to say. I have a few things every year that I know. God has put on my heart that I need to speak. And because that, that is what leads to, you know, what preaching folks call, uh, the preacher's deficit, which is we are always running out of content and material, which is what, which is why people go, I, I mean, this, this is the, the darkest side of preaching in America today. Um, one of, a, a friend of mine who runs, uh, uh, the preaching today, um, website, um, for uh, christianity today a very good friend of mine said uh, that um his darkest moment was when they did an analytics look at when people download sermons from their website which is the, one of the largest house uh sermon oh. uh, uh, venues in the world and monday nobody downloads tuesday nobody wednesday thursday friday nothing saturday nothing sunday morning 4 a.m it spikes no, for come three on. hours it spikes for three hours and at noon crashes down to nothing again. And he said, when he saw that he almost quit his job Hmm. because he knew he was potentially complicit in enabling a whole class of preachers who are trying to speak way more than their life allows. Yeah. So I, I took that very seriously and changed the way that I preach. So now I preach two out of three weeks. Um, I do not preach every week in our community. I preach two out of three weeks. We've developed a whole school of preachers in our church who carry the load of preaching so that it's not all on me. And I find that if I don't have rest in my preaching rhythm, I basically just become a content pusher. And frankly, I don't know why we would just not send out a YouTube video for somebody at that stage.
0: So talk about the difference. Like when you say a content pusher.
1: Yeah. When I say content and that sounds, I, I, it can, can come across mean or something like that, but I, I'm just not convinced that the church's gift to the world is to give out content. Our, our gift to the world as preachers is that we know how to, as Peter, Eugene Peterson is so eloquently put in all of his books, that we are people who know how to listen six days a week so that one day a week, we can say the very thing that God is saying to our community. And Um, that people's lives are not changed because we blow their minds out of the water with some Ted talk kind of experience. If you want, if you want your mind to be blown, watch a Ted talk. The purpose of preaching is to bear the voice of Jesus for a certain place at a certain time out of the same Bible that Christians have been preaching for 2000 years. And that requires six days of listening and one day of your willingness to speak. I have a friend who has a practice that for every half hour of his sermon and no, no, no. For every hour that he preaches on Sunday, he will take an hour. No, let me say that again. For every minute there in his go. sermon, there you go. For every minute in his sermon on Sunday, he will take an hour to listen to somebody in his congregation during the rest of the week. That is the gift that we bring to the church. The ability to listen to the voice of Jesus in our community and relay what God is saying
0: so this is a lot bigger than Sabbath.
1: I mean, oh. what, how
0: does this play out for you then? Like, how has that changed for you other yeah, than taking ter- a ter- time ter- off? Right. In terms
1: of rhythms. In terms yeah. Of yeah. Rhythms, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I, I think at the end of the day, um, I, uh, let me say this as gently as possible. Um, I think that the goal Uh, in a Sabbath rhythm of preaching would be that I spend more time on my knees before the text than I do in my Evernote files, rearranging content. Yeah. And that is a really hard transition for me because I really know how to arrange content in a compelling way, but it is a lot more difficult to stop, be before God and the text and just invite Jesus to speak to us in a raw, immediate state. And the Sabbath does that, man. When you take a day off and your phone is off and you're, and you're raw, you can't, you can't produce, you can't, um, you, you can't do anything on the Sabbath worth, you know, in terms of productivity to just stop and experience the immediate presence of Jesus is terrifying. It is terrifying. It is a whole new way of living that, um, that, that frankly is foreign to um, this paradigm of life that we call American living. It's just so foreign. Uh, but we need to model that in preaching, the, the willingness to sit in the presence of Jesus before the text, before we go to our Evernote files.
0: So for you, then, as you talk about that, um, how would you compare the, the kind of just prayerful engagement with the sermon to come with the kind of presence with jesus that sabbath brings you're not re- you're not comparing those as the same thing right am i understanding mm-hmm. that
1: yeah well yeah by the way every preacher th- this is a, a real problem is that when you're a preacher uh, devotions get really hard because um when when you're when you live your life to produce content for other people and then you read the bible for yourself you can't help but slipping into sermon preparation um, and I so don't know what you're, you're talking about. That's never happened to you. It's happened to a few of us. Um, <laughs> but I know on the Sabbath, um, uh, I, when I, if I read scripture um, on the Sabbath, whatnot, I mean, it is so challenging to just let Jesus speak to me before I I speak, you know, to to anybody else. Um, there, there's this excellent uh, A.W. A. Tozer wrote uh, this little book called Warfare of the Spirit. In which he, he makes this, he has this one paragraph that I, I, it is just so compelling to me. And he says, um, he says, the greatest enemy to Holy Spirit uh, preaching, the greatest enemy to Holy Spirit preaching is commentaries. <laughs> and he says, the, the reason commentaries are so dangerous is that we immediately go to the commentaries and sidestep the age old process of just resting before Jesus in the text and allowing the text to speak to us what God wants to say before we go to the scholars. Um, because we preach so much and we don't rest and we have to do way more than our spiritual lives can allow. Um, we are just tempted to become content drivers rather than people that listen to the text. And I just think the Sabbath is a, um, is a rhythm that, that invites us as preachers to, 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 to askew that, that rhythm.
0: So in your week to week with this in mind, uh, I'm, I mean, because so many of us, so, all right. So here, I I think this might be a question people are grappling with right now who are listening. Hi, mom. Uh, um, You talked earlier about how your own congregation, when you talked about Sabbath, they just didn't even know how to engage it. Like, what do we do? right and so i've got this practical podcast on how people yes. and it's very what focused like yes and so in some ways i wonder if the experience i know the experience i'm having um and i'm a very practical minded person anyway but in some ways the experience that i'm having and others might be listening is the same experience your congregation might have had which is okay then what does sermon prep look like other than open the text and pray and see what comes out and do I do that on monday or do do I do that on sunday morning that's you know great, what i'm saying so how, so i would love so to know
1: get
0: let's get yeah, practical well, yeah that's what i'd love to know then for you you know other than cutting back from three day, three sundays out of three to two sundays out of three in your week to week how how has this changed yep. Yep. what yep. your process looks
1: like I love it. Well, let, yeah. Let me talk about a couple of things that I think I would I would really strongly advocate for uh, as creative ways to integrate Sabbath rhythms uh, and healthy rhythms into a preacher's life. Uh, the number one would that that I would offer would be we spend a lot of time talking about sermon preparation and we fail to talk about sermon recovery, and that is how mm-hmm. we how we how we handle the emotional, physiological, and psychological and even physical dimensions of what preaching does to us yeah and um so let's for example let me let me say number one um archibald Hart has done a phenomenal job for the church of talking about you know what what adrenaline does to the preacher's body and when you look at a preacher's body uh, after they're done preaching we're basically high i mean if you were to take a blood test a preacher is is essentially walking drunk on adrenaline and Um, Which is why, by the way, most preachers that I know who struggle with some form of addiction, be it pornography, um, uh, alcohol, uh, food addiction, whatnot, almost always struggle with that addiction the most the night after they preach. So that evening, uh, Catholics call it a near occasion of sin, which is a moment where we are most susceptible to our darkest selves. Um, any preacher who I know who's addicted to pornography struggles with pornography the night that they're preaching. And if you look at it from a physiological level, there's a reason for that. Um, when you come off your adrenaline high and your body knows you're coming back off the adrenaline, it's, it's desiring to pick it back up again so that, that it, you don't come off the high. Um, so I think the number one thing, and I teach this in a preaching class that I teach at Fuller and and at George Portland Seminary, is I say the number one thing you can do on a practical level after you're done preaching, number one is, uh, do something that makes you sweat. And that is go on a run, garden, um, I, I, this may sound completely off topic, but have sex with your spouse, <laughs> um, get lucky. And, and I, this is crazy, but actually there are all these fascinating studies on how, um, uh, sexual intimacy, of course, in the bounds of marriage, uh, can, can actually release all that adrenaline high whatnot. So I would say anything that makes you sweat, do something after you're done preaching that makes you sweat. Um, it turns out, by the way, and I, I quote this in the book, that um, preachers, uh, the, the, there are, there's a three-hour window on Monday mornings where most pastors have heart attacks, and it's on Monday mornings from 5 to 8 a.m., and there is a whole reason why when you're coming off that adrenaline high, uh, you're more susceptible for all sorts of uh, heart Uh, issues. I've been told I'm not a doctor, but, um, that Monday morning is a very susceptible time for the health of preachers. So doing something healthy after you're done preaching is really good. Giving your body a way to deal with those toxins, not toxins, but those adrenaline highs. Number two is as a, as a, just a principle and as a rhythm. Uh, if you are normally a preacher in your church, do not start sermon preparation on Monday. Um, you are, I think a train wreck. You're you're regretting everything you're uh, doubting everything you said, all the emails come in of everything that you said that was wrong. You know, Charles Spurgeon always said that he woke up on Monday morning knowing that there'd be some letter on his doorstep of a word of critique. Like Mondays, we are crazy susceptible. Yeah. And I would say that usually Mondays we need to do everything we can do to take a day to rest. Um, I have a spiritual director and I always meet with my spiritual director if at all possible on Mondays. And it's very intentional. Um, if I don't have a place to talk about what I'm feeling uh, after I'm done preaching, I, I can bottle it all all up. The third thing is I would say, um, <clears throat> and this is a practice that we have in our community, is every summer, uh, we, as a church, do not meet for the month of august all we 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 meet, but we just meet to pray so there's no preaching there's no worship in terms of musical worship there's no meal served. We gather to simply pray everyone every every August the whole month we meet in a park we don't even meet in the church and as a preacher, that gives me a month to just stop and 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 reflect and get away. Process and we have other people who lead those Wednesday gatherings. And I think that if that was a practice we integrated in our communities, preachers would come back in September and just have a ton of stuff to say to the church and be ready to go. And by the way, everybody else loves it too. Uh, It turns out that praying actually works and it really is good for the church. Um, So, number one, sweat when you're done preaching and sermon recovery. Number two is Mondays, do your best to take that day and be be very careful to take care of yourself. And thirdly would be be integ- integrate into your church community a month or two months out of the year that perhaps you don't have to preach uh, where you can stop and, and, and and just be present to Jesus yourself and not have to produce anything for anybody else.
0: Uh, on that last uh, one. I mean, I know a fair I amount know, of people uh, who take steady leaves come, uh, you know, late summer or mid summer, which serves some of that purpose, but talk about what you think it means even for the church to have a break from the normal Sunday rhythm. Like what, what fruit have you seen from that? Uh, other than what you named yeah. that prayer works, but I mean, do you feel like there's a, there's a recovery benefit for the church too? Yes.
1: Yes. The whole church, uh, our volunteers all get a break for a whole month. Uh, our cooks all get a we served meals every week. So all of our cooks get a month break. All of our people who are musicians, uh, our staff, everybody, um, gets, gets a break. And I should say that the spouses of people on our staff really love it. Um, it's a win for them. It's a win for their kids. It's a win for everybody involved. Um, and I just personally, I, I, I obviously summers in terms of where I live here in Portland, right? Right. Uh, it's, we, ne- we don't get sun all year long. So, I mean, the three months that we do get sun, um, it, it, it sort of baptizes, Uh, The rhythm of Sabbath for our church, it says to our church, like we value this so much that we're going to take a month for you to rest. If you don't want to come to church, awesome. Know that we support your rest and well-being. Um, Yeah, I think it's a win for everybody. And again, it works probably well because we're a smaller church um, and we're not, you know, we're not a mega church. We're, you know, 300, 400 people, but it works well for us. And it certainly probably would look very different if it was a a very large church. Um, but yeah, I think it's a win across the board. I think everybody everybody stands stands behind that and says that that's a a victory,
0: yeah, and it works because you're in Portland because August I mean people are craving sunshine, whereas yes, August and Austin that might not be the time to do that,
1: but yeah yeah, November, yeah right yeah. yeah, yeah, there you go um
0: okay, so you talked about recovery, keep going then in terms of as you've become more serious about. Even having, I mean, you're not talking about a Sabbath day in the midst of your sermon prep. You're talking about a Sabbath attitude, you know, in the rhythm of your sermon, sermon prep in a lot of ways, right? Like it's, you're talking yeah, about, you're talking about uh, the, the re- removing the tedium and the pressure of sermon prep. So maybe talk a little bit more beyond Monday about how this has shifted or changed what your week looks like specifically yeah. regarding the sermon.
1: Sure. Well, there's two dimensions to that. The first is um, the personal rhythm side, which is if you do take a Sabbath, uh, which in our family we take a Sabbath on Saturdays, that is a bit of a problem. And here, here's yeah. why it's a problem: it's it's really hard to take a day of rest the day before you're going to preach. Uh, it's really hard to keep that at bay while you're you know resting in your mind. Um, so a lot of preachers struggle with that. They struggle with. Um, do, you know, if I, if I rest on Saturday, then boy, I'm just going to be thinking about the sermon all, all week, uh, or all day, uh, Saturday, which is why I think a lot of preachers opt to, to do something like on Friday, or they'll do like Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon, which I've seen a lot of people do and they find a lot of life in that. Um, so there's that dimension. You got to think about, you know, when you do Sabbath, um, you know, the, the, the pack, the, the sort of difficulties that come with, um, resting before you preach. But on the flip side, I worry if, you know, the, the, preach, the task of preaching is just, uh, it's a neurotic mess for me. I mean, I, I'm an emotional train wreck. I'm an emotional dumpster fire after I'm done preaching. Um, I'm, I'm going through all sorts of fears and concerns. What do people think? I mean, that's exactly why A.W. Tozer would, after he was done preaching, would, uh, he would not stand in the lobby and talk to people. He would go directly to the children's wing of his church building and hang out with the kids because he knew that the kids would just love him for who he was rather than being concerned about what he said. Um, I mean, we're all wrecks after we're done preaching. And if we don't have time to to meet Jesus after we're done preaching and come back down to earth and we just get right back into sermon prep, I worry that we're going to start well, let me let, let me give you a metaphor. This is a, an image that I think would be helpful. Um, they, I have a, a friend who lives uh, in uh, Virginia who was an admiral. He's uh, on the East Coast. I can't remember if it's Virginia or North Carolina, but he uh, had a barbecue in his backyard um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And he was an admiral in the Army for something like 30 years. And he told me about this phenomenon, and that is that when you compare... The veterans who came back from World War II and the veterans who came back from Vietnam, there's a a marked difference between the health of those two veterans. Um, When World War II ended, of course, the nation, our country, was in complete and utter euphoria. We had defeated evil. The Third Reich had been collapsed, had had been destroyed. Hitler was gone. Uh, We were in euphoria. And when the men came back, uh, they didn't come back with large amounts of drug usage uh, they didn't come back. High PTSD rates; they were actually quite low. Uh, they didn't come back and beat their wives. I mean, it was it was actually quite a quite a uh, historically it was it was quite a euphoric experience. And we have a whole generation of people that are named after that euphoria. We call them baby boomers. And the men came back and just had a bunch of kids with 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 their 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 wives. But when you compare that with Vietnam, it's a very different story. When the men came back from Vietnam. Um, abuse rates skyrocketed, drug abuse skyrocketed, PTSD rates were sky high, and when they came back, it was it was the the country was absolutely depressed. Now, you can of course look at cultural you know rationale, and people didn't believe in the wars, but what's the difference between those two? And my friends said that they theorize uh, one thing, and that is that when you look at Vietnam, in Vietnam, when the men came back from war, they literally got on planes and went from two days; they went from being in the battlefield to being back in their living rooms within two days. Hmm. Whereas in world war two, it's a very different story. They didn't have planes that brought the men back. How did the men get back from Europe and, and, and South Pacific or not? They got on boats for a month or two months and sailed across the ocean. And what do you do when you just take a month or two months and sail with your brothers who you just fought in war with? You cry and you process and you weep and you tell your stories and you process what just happened. And I think that that is a metaphor, frankly, not only for our culture, but that's a, that's a metaphor for preaching. And that is that if we don't have time after we're done preaching to stop and rest and be healed ourselves, we're going to carry that pain from last week into this next week into the week after that. And the week after that, we need time to stop and process because we're emotional train wrecks when we're done preaching. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we're talking on Monday you and me
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a train wreck yeah exactly yeah.
0: I didn't preach yesterday so I'm okay <laughs> I didn't preach yesterday and I had a counseling appointment a couple hours ago so yeah you're doing all right I'm in a yeah, better I'm, place I'm, than you
1: <laughs> yeah you can't even see me I'm glad we're doing this in uh, on on cuz I'm sitting here in my in my um sitting here in my pj's with a a bottle of, of vodka uh you know
0: <laughs> not true just
1: kidding not true but the truth <laughs> is I mean you're absolutely right on Monday it's the uh, dep- it's just, it's the, the amount it, and it's not, it's not shocking to me, by the way, spiritually, you look at Jesus and all, all the, the, the Bible every time. It just seems like every time somebody has an incredible spiritual experience, it is followed up by some dark experience. Jesus is baptized. The spirit descends. He goes into the desert. Moses goes on the mountain, receives the word of God, comes down, sees all of God's people worshiping golden calves. It just seems like every Moment of light is often followed by a moment of darkness, and we need to attend to that darkness and not run away from it. We need to find God in it, and if we don 't, we will carry the pain to our next week and the next week and the next week, and we 'll never stop
0: yeah well, I know that we 're working toward a little bit of a hard stop here let me let me comment on something um, and then if there 's any other thoughts that come to your mind that you want to toss out, you can, but I'm, I'm looking at a note that I jotted down, uh, you know, kind of after finishing up your book and kind of came to me, which ties into what I feel like you've done with this conversation, which is Sabbath, and, and I just named this a little bit ago, but Sabbath is this idea of this day, the specific time-oriented, tangible practice. But you're naming it as a, you're naming kind of the fruit of it, you know, because it it starts to pervade how you engage really the rest of your week, right? Because you're talking about how it's not just that you had to find a way to, to check out from your sermon prep for 24 hours, but you're seeing, it seems like you're seeing the fruit of how being more intentional about it has really affected how you view yourself and how you view the output, you know, of your sermon prep. And all. It, what, I, what I thought I was going to start saying is changing even as I go, because um, I'm just synthesizing this as we're talking. All that to say, though, in a lot of ways, this matches up with my experience of reading your book because I, I, I was reminded of reading Moltmann's God in Creation a number of years ago. Probably read that right before we first met, and reading <coughs> and him just talking about the, you know, the whole book is just about what is what is the place, the nature, the role of God ongoing in creation, and then Moltmann ends that book. As I think you would, I know you quote and cite Moltmann several times, but basically, Moltmann ends that book describing Sabbath as a practice of celebrating and experiencing God and creation. All that mm-hmm. to say, my experience of your book, because I mean, you paint a really broad stroke about. Sabbath. You paint a really broad stroke, broader than, I've read a number of books on Sabbath, broader than any of the others, because a lot of the others just focus on time and rest, and you focus, right. it feels like you focus more on the fruit of Sabbath, you know, in terms of how how is Sabbath a justice issue, and how is that Sa- all the way down to your chapter on, um, you know, critters, right? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And I, I appreciate it, because I feel like Moltmann paints this broad stroke of the nature of God, and then responds with Sabbath being, you know, the way to engage that. And a lot of ways, I feel like you kind of pick up where Molmon left off and then kind of hover, circle back around to say, now Sabbath is also this holistic experience in the same way that we're trying to experience God's presence in the midst of everything. And we focus on being present through Sabbath. Now you say, out of that, we can experience, you know, God's presence and see the fruit of Sabbath and in, in everything we do. Mm-hmm. If, if, sure. you know, but so all that to say, now I feel like what you're saying is then for even though I came into this conversation going, I'm going to talk to AJ about how this 24 hour period shapes his sermon prep. You're doing to me what you did with the book, which is you no know, Sabbath changes my entire week approach, not just that I check out for 24 yeah. hours and try to disengage. Yeah.
1: No, it is, it is a, it, the Sabbath is a way of life. It's not a day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a different paradigm for how we do ministry. It's a different paradigm for, a, it's a different operating system. My spiritual director, if he, if he, I love my spiritual director because he repeats the same things over and over again and forgets that he's repeating them. Um, And I love that because that's what I need as a young you know guy. I need somebody who's just going to repeat himself over and over and over again. And he repeats himself all the time about the two ways that we live our life. Um, there are two modes two operating systems that we live in our lives and he says on one hand we're compulsive and on the other hand we're contemplative so there's the compulsive which is the 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 acting and doing ministry without thinking and praying and reflecting uh, being present to god and then there's the the contemplative which is being present to god uh, acting out of intention, thoughtfulness. You're not in a trance. You know what you're doing. You're present to God. And these two operating systems, compulsive and contemplative, are the two ways that we do ministry. And I think that when we embrace the Sabbath and we begin to understand what it is, it is God's invitation to teach us that He his desire is that we would not live in a compulsive way, but in a contemplative way. It's a whole different operating system. And frankly, one that I, I stink at, but it is God's eternal invitation to the contemplative way and the contemplative way in preaching changes everything because when i'm compulsive i'm doing stuff because i want to make people laugh i want to blow their minds but when i'm doing things in a contemplative way i'm doing it because i know it's my calling to feed god's people i'm not called to, to blow their mind i'm called to feed them and to love them and, sh- and and share the voice of jesus even when it doesn't get the laughs that i wish it's a completely different way of life yeah. wow.
0: Well, on that note, for those in the book is Subzer- Subversive Sabbath, and but for uh, people who just want to keep up with what you're up to, uh, otherwise want to mention church website, your own website, social media, anything like that that's helpful for connecting with you?
1: Yeah, um, I'm on, obviously, Twitter, uh, AJ Swoboda, and then my website is AJSwoboda.com. And thank you, John, for all that you do for us preachers.
0: Yeah, my, my pleasure. AJ, thanks so much. It, it took us a couple tries, but we finally made it work, and I'm glad we did. We made it. Yeah. Magic. All right, love you. Talk to you later. I love
1: you too. Thanks, brother. Bye.
0: Thank you, AJ, for coming back on the podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. Had a lot of dialogue going on after the last interview with John Mark Comer. Lots of tweets and social media posts out there, so thank you for that. That is always a way that you can help spread the word. And of course as always, you can find notes and links from today's conversation at sermonsmith.com Thanks friends.